Hey everyone, it's it's David once again. Another holiday chat, 2019. This time I'm talking about I'm talking to Scott about uh, some kind of earnout or workout arrangement. How you doing, Scott? Doing well. How are you? I'm great. So why don't you give me a little bit of background about uh, the the yeah. business and and the situation and and is this a business you're already in right now as an employee? Uh, so not not exactly. No. Okay. Um, so the, the background is, uh, I've, I've worked in a number of different, uh, marketing roles and I'd say I'm in the process of wanting to purchase a business of my own, which is of course how I found you and came across all of your fantastic resources. Okay. And, um, in the process I've reached out to, uh, you know, some people that, that I know, including my accountants kind of explaining what I was wanting to do. And he connected me to another client. Uh, his name is Brent. And uh, he has a uh, business that is uh, kind of a co-employment slash payrolling slash hybrid PEO type business. And I can tell you a little bit more about exactly what that is if you're not familiar. But um, essentially, he had uh, gone through some some personal stuff. Uh, he owns this business, kind of a serial entrepreneur. So he's got a couple different. He's got a new one that he's super jazzed about. And so he has this business that just needed some marketing juice. And so... Uh, given that was my background, my accountant thought, hey, it'd be worth it for you guys to chat. So uh, this was back uh, kind of towards the end, probably middle end of the summer. So it's been a few months now. Um, and so I've, I've met with, with Brent a number of times and I'm getting familiar with the business. And essentially what, uh, what the business does is when a business, uh, a separate business mm-hmm. or company has some sort of contingent workforce uh, that they don't want to hassle with uh, the 1099 issues uh, that we deal with in the U.S. around is it a full-time employee, the control issues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or they have like a contract to hire role or, you know, more of a temporary position where they don't want to do all of the onboarding and offboarding and payrolling and all those things associated with it. They use his company. Uh, and so what he does is, is he basically employs that, that contract worker as a full-time W-2 employee mm-hmm. and then uh, charges the business just a small um, uh, a small uh, increase over you know the hourly rate plus the employer burden which is all of the associated taxes and insurance and things like that he offers uh, you know the health uh, benefits and, and the other things that a typical w2 employee is gonna gonna use yeah. and, um, and so the the, the business and so the and so the company who needs the workers they just are given a fixed hourly rate that just covers everything and they don't have to do any kind of paperwork and stuff Exactly. Yeah. So it's, it's less time on their side for all the onboarding and offboarding, the payrolling and stuff. He has, you know, automate or more automated online, uh, quick time card approvals and things like that. Um, because they're a W2 employee that's working for that other business, you know, they can exercise the control that they would over a W2 versus a 1099 where, you know, there's some limitations around setting hours and expectations and things like that. It really needs to be more project work. Um, and of course, we're seeing, you know, more and more people move towards kind of the, the gig economy type type work, uh, which I think is is a favorable for the business, uh, as well as seeing increased kind of um, uh, compliance issues around, you know, the misuse or misclassification of 1099s and so forth. So right. all that to say, it's, it's an interesting business. Um, and uh, what I've learned from Brent is that all of his uh, clients have come through just referrals. So he kind of fell into the business. He has the recruiting side uh, where he's placing, you know, either contractor full-time workers and somehow it just rolled into this and he's just kind of done it. He's never done much marketing or outreach to try and gather new clients. It's always just been word of mouth type stuff, which I think has really limited his growth. Mm-hmm. Um, and now he's distracted with this new business that he's trying to start up. So, um, my my involvement with him has been, you know, well, I'm, I'm interested in buying a business. This sounds interesting. I don't know the HR space well enough to really, you know, fully understand the value proposition. I've definitely learned over the last couple of months. But our um, conversations have been around structuring some sort of an earnout deal uh, where I would start working in the business and start helping to generate some new clients and new revenue. And then over time, uh, rather than buying the business from him, I, you know, having a structure where we'd be able to earn it out. Okay. Uh, so just as we hit various milestones and so forth, you know, I would earn equity and eventually get to the point where, I mean, like he's, 
he said that he's willing to fully let go of the business. Uh, I have some questions as to how, what exactly that looks like, and I'm hoping that he and I can get into some of the more specifics. Um, where I'm at right now is uh, before Thanksgiving, he was supposed to have a business valuation done and then come to me with kind of a burnout proposal. Um, and that didn't happen. He's still telling me that, you know, he's got to get more information to the, the, the business owners and, or the, um, the accountants or the, the, the firm that's doing the valuation, I guess, um, to get that finalized. Supposedly that's supposed to happen next week. And so my hope was that I would have had an agreement uh, to walk through with you to kind of understand, you know, hey, so what are the things I need to be cautious of or what, what things look good and what don't in an earnout agreement? Mm -hmm. But since I don't have specifics, I thought, well, you know, let's use this time to maybe you can talk to me just generally about some of the things you've seen in, you know, equity earnout type things, some of the, the cautions and stuff to be wary of so that when we do actually, when he does present me with something, I can kind of look at it with a little bit more kind of intent eye and understand some of the risks and be able to push back in the right ways to to protect myself. Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So yeah. the I'm gathering from what I've heard so far in this conversation that the idea of, of you just putting some down payment down and him financing the balance is not in the cards for some reason. Why would that not, not be? Yeah. Um, so I, again, I think it's a little bit kind of, it's, it's kind of his cash cow right now. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, he, he generates a really decent income from it. And I think he's a little bit hesitant to let it go. Okay. Um, he and I had done some back and forth prior to the earnout type stuff. We, we tried to initially structure it in like a consulting type manner. So I'd come in and just kind of work in a consulting role and he would pay me and so forth. And we ended up hitting a roadblock with that because I was worried that I was going to come in, build this business that he has really done nothing with. And then I was going to get pushed out for, you know, less than it was worth. He had similar concerns. He's like, well, you could show up, grow the business and then jet and I'm paying you too much. And I want to do that. So that's where we got to this. Like we've got to have something really formal kind okay. of in place to, to move this forward. So I've, I've broached the subject of, you know, what if I just bought you out um, or, or bought out with some sort of a, um, you know, a, a, long, a seller financing type piece. And he's a little reluctant to do that. Um, I can't gather what it is other than I think it's, again, it, it's just the revenue piece. He's kind of holding on to it. It's, it's very easy for him at this point. Um, mm -hmm. And I just don't think that he's at a point now where he really wants to give up the business currently. Okay. Which is so, an issue in, in, in of itself. But. In, in these types of deals where you're, you're going to be working together and eventually one party will take over ownership from the other. There, there are a few basic things that have to be addressed in whatever deal is set up. So, okay. they, and I'll, I'll call you the buyer and I'll call him the seller. Um, even though okay. your relationships are going to be far more complex as, as things roll along <laughs> because you, you okay. could very well be sort of in an employee kind of role or contractor kind of role. And, and you know, he's the person hiring you and, and maybe even paying you. So yeah. number, number one, whatever kind of deal you guys set up, there has to be some clear definition of what you are earning by what you're doing right now. Okay. In case the deal doesn't ever complete, he still owes you for what you've contributed in this scenario. Yeah. Right. So that's number one. Number two, there has to be a clearly defined mechanism or date or moment when he stops being the owner and you start being the owner. And even, even if we're just talking about formalizing a multiple shareholder moment where you all of a sudden own a certain percentage of the outstanding shares, if it's a, if it's a corporation, right? And yeah. then the last thing is there has to be a, a clearly defined moment where he no longer has anything to do with this business and it's clearly just yours. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. sometimes people will get into these kinds of arrangements and I'll, I'll give you a quick example because this is the one I hear about all the time is that someone will want to buy the business someday and they'll come into the business and they'll start doing work and they'll start contributing and being really, you know, you know keen and eager and helping out a lot. 
And, and as the business grows with this new vigor being in, injected into the business, um, it becomes worth more and then the seller becomes more and more reluctant to actually complete on a deal. And then mm -hmm. the, the buyer ends up feeling used and feels betrayed. And then there's some kind of breakdown in the relationship. And then, you know, people are hurt. The relationship's destroyed. The deal never happens. And the person who was the buyer feels used, right? Yep. That's not what we want to have happen. So right. I'll give you a quick example of a deal that I helped somebody else set up at the beginning of 2019. And I haven't spoken to them in a couple months, but I have every reason to believe it's still working okay. So it's yeah. a small business where they, they do work on cars, okay? And it's, okay. it's, it doesn't have a very high profit level. It's not that fancy or big a business, but it would certainly provide someone with a decent standard of living. So for the people who typically are employees in this business, becoming the owner would definitely be a step up. Okay. Yeah. And, and the seller um, is now in his sixties and wants to retire, but he realizes that nobody's probably going to offer write a check for the value of his business. And it's not something that would be very easy to finance. So he knew he was going to have problems, which is why he sought me out. So what has happened is one of his employees is now going to be the buyer. And what they've done is they've given that employee more authority and they've made him a manager and with giving him that title, they're also giving him a, a wage increase, okay? But his net paycheck that he takes home is the same as it was before. And the extra money he should be getting in his paycheck, he's still receiving. It's just going into a different bank account, okay? So every week when he gets paid, he knows a little bit of extra money has been contributed into that bank account, and it has his name on it too, so it's his money. Okay. Sure. But what, what it's demonstrating to the seller is that by leaving that money in there, he's committing to growing that savings account to become the down payment on the business. Okay. Ah. The two of them have an agreement about how they're going to value the business. They're, they're going to take a multiple of a, a profit formula that I helped them come up with. And they're going to take a okay. percentage of, and they're going to take a percentage of the total revenue and the trailing um, 12 months and they're going to average those two numbers together to get their purchase price when they're ready to pull the trigger. Okay. And when they're ready, okay. when they're ready to pull the trigger, what's going to happen is the money in that savings account is going to be the down payment and the seller is going to carry back the rest as a seller note. And okay. the seller also owns the building, which is not part of this deal. So he's going to continue to be the landlord for the new buyer. And so gotcha. what this is all contingent on is the down payment growing to be about 25 grand, which okay. it's, not, it's not a lot of money, but I'll tell you, it's a lot of money for that guy who's working. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and, and this is the whole thing is, is if the guy does the management job and if he does a good job being the manager, then he will continue to accumulate this down payment in the savings account. And when they're ready to execute the deal, they'll, they have their value formula. He'll be the buyer. He'll use that money as the down payment. Now, at, in that moment, he will become the owner. It's very clear. He's the owner. Gotcha. Very and, clear. That he and and the, yep. Okay. And, and the, the amount, the balance he owes is going to be on the seller note. And the moment the last payment is made, then he's free and clear, hundred percent owner of the business. He'll still be a tenant in the building. Um, but, you know, if he pays off that seller note over a couple of years, in all likelihood, he could then go and buy the building and they can make that deal in the future, right? So just, so let me, I'm, I'm just taking some notes here. So just to clarify, so the, the, he becomes the owner the moment that the down payment is paid? Yep. Because that's the moment the, that the, okay. That's the moment the business is purchased. The, the, gotcha. And then the, the business financing will, is just, yeah. The, okay. the business becomes his because he will have made the down payment and the balance of what he owes is a, is a debt to the seller. And just like yeah. any seller finance note. So, so okay. here, here's why the, I advise them to set it up in this fashion. If there's ever some yeah. kind of breakdown in the relationship between these two people over the next two years, the, the guy who's been acting as the manager all of the extra money he has earned but has not been paid is in that account. 
It's his money. So if the relationship breaks down, he goes away, he can go to the bank and he can take the money out. So he's always going to end up being paid for the work he's doing. Right. And if something happens over the next little while that convinces the seller that this isn't the right guy for the business, that he doesn't believe he can be successful and he doesn't want to hold a note for him, then he can fire him. And again, the guy can go to the bank and take out his down payment money. Right. So, so there, there's an, there's a, a very clean, simple and easy way for this relationship to end at any time where both parties can walk away from each other and neither is going to feel that they've been ripped off. Right. Because yeah. the, the guy yeah. who was doing the management role, he, his money, his pay, he was supposed to get is still there. Right. Gotcha. So, so these yeah. are the kinds of features that, that allow us to, to be successful. So if, sure if it were much more defined when the transaction was going to happen, we might actually create an option to purchase with a fixed value. This is what the business is going to sell for on this day. But a lot of the times these deals can go on for a couple of years, in which case we don't really know, you know, if we're, maybe we're not willing to set a price today, the buyer might want to set a price. The seller may not want to, because he thinks the business is going to grow on the flip side. If this business declines, the buyer may not want to go through on the deal, right? And that's the same with you. So you believe there's a lot of upside potential with this business that you're talking about, but if a big, fierce, active competitor came into the market, for example, this business could be damaged. It could go down, right? Yeah. And so you might decide at some point you really don't want to buy it. Yeah, and so the, the the structure that you you've got for this other deal would the protection would be the money that's in the account. You're at least getting something plus the wages he's earning along the way since he's actively working in the business. Right. But there's there's the protection there of his his time and his energy has been compensated for. Exactly. No matter what what happens, sure. So my guess is that there's I mean again depending on the the role that the the potential buyer is playing in the business and so forth, his ability to grow the business and the size there. One of, one of my concerns here is again, since there hasn't been really any conscious marketing or sales effort that once there is some applied, we should Mm -hmm. see, you know, significant growth in the business. Um, And I think one of my concerns is that I'm going to get stuck paying again, you know, you talked about like in this deal, the, the multiple, that I'm going to get stuck paying a lot more for the business that essentially I helped grow. Right. And we've talked a little mm-hmm. bit about that. Can you maybe shed some lights on things related to that, that I can, should look for, should push for to kind of help sure. in, in guarding against me paying essentially me overpaying for the potential I brought to the business. Yeah. So, so I, there's a couple of different ways I can think of this, of how to, how to address this. Number one, you could work into your agreement with him, whatever the the formula will be to put a price on the business when the day comes, when the transaction will happen. You can create a formula today that will discount those future growth years. So, you know, I'm going to buy your business based on a multiple of what it's doing today. And if there's growth, we're going to apply a discount to the growth so that I don't okay. pay you full price. That's, that's one way to do it. And, and here's the okay. downside to that. If, if it becomes obvious the business is worth way more than, than he'll get by selling it to you, it could give him a reason to undermine the deal, which you don't want, right? right. So, so here's another way to look at this. If you were a marketing consultant for a person, uh, would you ever contemplate going into a deal where you were compensated based on the growth that you allowed the business to achieve? Probably not. You wouldn't do that? So if, if I said to you, I have a business and if you want to do some marketing for me, if, if I get 5% growth, I'll pay you this. If I get 10% growth, I'll pay you this higher figure. The more that I grow. Assuming that, yeah. I, I mean, if I had confidence in, the other elements, right? Because I mean, marketing is one thing. You can fill a, a funnel with tons of leads, but if they're not being worked and all that stuff doesn't come through, right? I guess it, 
a little bit comes down to the control and the numbers. So, um, okay. so, yeah, so I, I, if numbers are structured correctly, I would. Yeah. Okay. So, so then, and you also said leads, right? So would you yep. ever consider working um, on a, uh, a formula where you get paid per, for every lead that came in? Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So in the example I gave you, the, the person who went from the shop floor to being the manager, he had his wages raised by a few dollars an hour. In your mm-hmm. situation, how are you going to get compensated for what you're going to do? So you could create a formula where you're going to get paid X amount per lead that comes in, or maybe you get compensated according to the growth in the business. That money can come to you in a number of different ways. It can either be a check that the business writes to you for helping it grow, or it can be a check that gets split between you and a savings account, just like in the example I gave, or it can become simply a debt. So, Every time you work with the business and help them grow, they owe you for every lead. It accrues as a liability of something they owe you. Now mm. that liability can be used as your down payment. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. So, so yep. if, if you are successful in growing this business, it means that your compensation should also be growing. So while you right. may end up paying more for the business, you've created more value for yourself that becomes your down payment. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. And, and again, yeah, I can if, see that. if the relationship fell apart, it's very clear to understand what you need, what you are owed for what you've done. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, so it satisfies that condition of understanding clearly what, what the buyers to be compensated for for the value they bring into the deal. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Okay. So I want to ask you a couple questions though, because in the example I gave you, the seller was motivated by retirement. He's in his sixties. He knows that he wants to get out of this soon. It doesn't sound like this guy is all that motivated though. Is it? Does it? True. That's, that's been my, my struggle is to really understand the, the, his, his motivation. And I think that it is uh, probably lacking again, because at this point it's, it's not taking a lot of his time and energy. It continues to put money in his pocket. He's very distracted by this new business that he's hoping to launch at the start of the year. And that that will, uh, you know, eventually probably take over all of his time and maybe, you know, taking the distraction off his plate is worth, something, but it's, it might not be a lot. Hmm. So do you think that he will become more motivated as the, the new thing starts to consume him to a greater degree? Or do you think there's a potential for him to kind of neglect this business? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think we, we have already seen that. So this other business does. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there, but uh, does okay. he understand that his neglect is causing the business to have some troubles? Yes. Okay. So this business, if it doesn't get some sort of injection of enthusiasm and energy, uh, will continue to decline. Yes. Right. For sure. So, how often do you talk to this person? Uh, so we were talking probably two, two to three times a week um, prior to kind of the, the giving holiday. Since then, it's been probably about once a week, just busy. And I'd also told him at, at one point, you know, hey, if things aren't in place by, you know, Thanksgiving, my energy and efforts going towards this business is going to be lower and lower. Um, I've been doing just a little bit of work on the side to try and um, help, you know, move some things along. And we have an agreement in place as to how I'm compensated based on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely more of kind of like a consulting role based on the revenue. It's kind of a commission type structure. Okay. So, uh, but again, it was, it was, if, if I wasn't seeing the movement on his side that I could, you know, he gave me the right, or I told him I'm, I'm going to pull back on my, my efforts at this point, you know, and, so I think we're in, in that stage now where, 
where things are my i'm i'm not putting nearly as much energy and effort towards it uh, until we have something formal in place okay so i i guess what i would probably recommend is when you talk with him is is try to use the language about this business being an asset and okay if somebody's not taking care of it you know, if you, if you own a cabin in the woods and nobody's ever going out there to, you know, chase away the rodents and repaint things and fix the shingles and stuff, eventually the thing is going to, you know, the wind and rain is going to get in, the things are going to start to fall apart. It's the value of the asset will decline. It's the same with a business. If he's not paying attention yeah. and not taking care of things, not taking care of the customers, you know, not only is he not going to grow, but competitors may come and take away customers. He could lose employees and not be able to deliver for his customers. Like all kinds of things can happen if he's not paying attention. And so just some awareness that if he doesn't make a deal of some kind so that somebody's taking care of this business, that he has to be prepared for it to decline in value. Yeah. Because, because whoever is um, putting a value on the business, it's going to be based upon the performance up into the, until the time of the valuation. And so right. if, if you're not there pushing the ball forward and he's not there, chances are it's going to start to decline. And mm-hmm. people are, this is funny, people are often more motivated by a fear of a loss than of a potential for a gain. Sure. Right. And that's, yep. that would be sort of the, the idea that I would, the seed I would want to plant in his mind. Um, and ultimately though, don't lose sight of the fact that it is his business, it's his property. And if he wants to yeah. mess it up, oh, that's yeah. his prerogative. Yep. Yeah. I think that's been kind of key throughout this whole thing is recognizing that, you know, if, if something else supplants this, he, he can totally just let this dwindle to nothing or let it go for nothing. My hope is that if, if I really, you know, can see that there is value in this business. And to this point, I, I wrestled with it back and forth on whether there is long-term value. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if there is, you know, uh, part of me wrestles with the challenge of, well, do I let him get to the point of this is worth nothing? I should just, you know, give it up uh, so that I can get a better deal on it. But what's the cost to that? If it's lost momentum, lost employees, lost you know, some of those things, it could be a lot more difficult than if we've got a ball that's rolling, particularly from like, you know, uh, a, the business is cash flowing now. Um, I would love to have that cash flow to be able to use to help fund the growth versus having to come out of pocket with, with a lot of that or take on debt or fund it some other way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, just thinking out loud here a little bit. But, no, and, and, and he's yeah. just taking all the available cash flow out of it for his new thing? Uh, I don't know if he's taking cash flow out to fund the new thing. I believe that it's more lifestyle at this point. Okay. So it's, it's his kind of his stable income. He does some recruiting from time to time. We'll place some people, you know, and recruiters get a pretty decent paycheck when they place somebody. Mm -hmm. Um, So between those two, that's, that's kind of, you know, funding his lifestyle and it's been fairly lax. Again, like I said, he's not putting a lot of energy into the business. He's got one employee that does most of the, day-to-day that he oversees a little bit here and there. Um, and, and so it's, it's very, you know, passive income in a lot of ways for him. And, and until that's replaced, I think he's, he's fairly dependent upon it. Um, mm. And depending on the valuation, I mean, maybe there's a, a justification that says, look, if we do some sort of seller financing here, I can continue to provide a portion of that or some of that to you um, to help maybe ease his uh, grip on that, that cash flow and that, uh, that revenue stream for himself. But well, I, uh, I can't motive. I mean, that's, that comes down to his motivation, not, not mine. So let me ask you this. It, would you be doing the recruiting stuff or you're more focused on the employee leasing stuff? No. So the employee leasing, I think is the part that, that I really feel is valuable. I don't think that the two are super connected. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, he's kind of just dumped it under the, the all under one LLC, but we've we've agreed that he probably needs to separate the one out as part of our formal agreement, so that it's very clear what it is that that I'm purchasing and so forth. Mm. Because 
because you know there, there's a there, there are a bunch of different things you could consider. So, for example, if his particular skill, if he's particularly skilled in recruiting, right? I mean, that's a that's a profession yep. people have. If he knows how to do yeah. that, and it's not really something that interests you, um, but the function of the activity within this business, it's it's easier to do it within the the framework of the business as, as it exists today. You could always make a deal with him where you acquire the business, but he gets to continue doing the recruiting work and, you know, earns a, a very high rate of commission on every deal closed, or you just take a small piece for the administrative and paperwork and all that other stuff. Yeah. And so yeah. He, he could do it if he wanted to for the, the quick hit, you know, of the, of those commission earnings. Um, but, but again, mm-hmm. it would be completely up to him if he wants to do the work or not. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Interesting idea. Yeah, considering too. Hmm. But if you were going, see, if you can't really buy the business and, and offer to pay him what he's already taking out for cash flow today, because you will have more and different things you need to spend the money on. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I can. I can empathize with him because he's, he's getting this money every sure. month out of this business. And if he makes a deal with you, he's got to find another source of income or cut his lifestyle or, yep. or you have to find a way to bring some money to the table to offset that. Yep. So have you, have you thought about different ways that you could make some kind of down payment in a more traditional kind of business purchase? Yeah, so um, I think, you know, where we're at financially, we could probably take out uh, uh, a line of credit against the house potentially mm-hmm. to pay it. Um, but that would probably only be, that, that'd be the most significant or reasonable, the most accessible source of funds at this point mm. um, to, to do that. And it's, it's not the most desirable. So, um, you you own the house with a wife? Yep. Yeah. What does she think of this opportunity? Um, she she likes it. Um, I think she comes from a background of um, more stability. Um, you know, her her roles have typically been hourly rates. Her parents have had very stable jobs. She's she's never had kind of the inkling to own a business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she knows and appreciates, or she's expressed to me that she knows and appreciates that that's a desire of mine. And so she supports me in, in what I want to do and so forth. Um, I, as far as the, the business itself, you know, I think she's, you know, mildly intrigued by it, but doesn't, uh, doesn't have a real passion for it as, as an industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, my, my, uh, um, interest. I, I don't have a lot of expertise within the HR field, so I've had to do a lot to really understand, you know, what value proposition this business provides, who typically the buyer or the, the decision maker would be within a business, what types of businesses this applies to. Um, and, and so I've, I've learned a lot through it. And I, you know, when I've taken the strength finder test, learning is my, my number one strength. So that's, that's the part of, of it that I, I thrive in and really enjoy. So uh, I'm learning that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but more for me, it's more the idea of being able to build something. That's, that's kind of my passion is I like to, to build things and a business, you know, like this, this is really the, it's like, Hey, I see, I see where the opportunity is here. And I know that I can come in and, and build it to, to grow and really have something. And I'm at the point where I'm tired of, building other people's businesses. I want to build my own. How is, is, is everything being kept really confidential between the two of you? Nobody else knows that this potentially is going to happen. Uh, as far as between the owner and I, yeah, between the, the seller and you. Uh, yeah. So, so very, very few others know. I mean, I've, I've talked with, you know, some friends and others about not specifics about the business, um, he, he hasn't really asked, you know, about NBA, keep things quiet, things like that. Um, so I've, I've been doing some due diligence just to try and understand and learn the industry, you know, so talking to people that I know within the HR realm, 
Um, and I've positioned it more as, hey, I'm potentially getting involved with this business, not potentially taking ownership of the business. Mm. Okay. Why do you ask that? Well, because when, you know, you want to talk about creative ways to get money for a down payment, there, there are some key stakeholders in this whole arrangement that have an interest in the business being run successfully who may be interested in, in helping you out. And those would be the customers. Ah, sure. Right. Yeah. Because, because the, you know, you probably have a few good sized customers that are employing most of the, of the staff members. True. Right. And so they could be approached and this is, and this is where it's difficult because you need to maintain confidentiality. You do have to get, you know, sort of the consent, the implicit consent of the, um, of the person who owns a business to even have a conversation like this. But those people have a vested interest in, in the stability of this business and being able to offer the supply of least employees. Right. And so they, they may, you could approach them with some kind of opportunity either to make you a loan or, or some other kind of deal to provide some capital that could be used as a down payment to buy the business. Sure. Yeah. And I would assume that that's, I mean, there's, there's a permission, like you said, that would need to come from the seller Mm -hmm. to do that. Uh, Do you, in your, I guess it's probably personality based, but is there in general, what, what would be the reluctance on his part? to allow me to pursue such. He thought it would jeopardize the, the relationship, obviously, with, with yeah, the customer. It, it, yeah. it would be, it could potentially threaten the, the customer-supplier relationship. And so sure. this is where, if he's been doing business with these people for 10 years and he knows them really well and they're kind of friends with each other, yeah. then, then this is something that could possibly come to be. Right. Yeah. If he, if he's willing to have an open conversation with them and say, look, you know, and it may not be that he wants to sell the business, but it might be, you know, I'm looking at bringing on a partner and we're going to reorganize things. And I'm looking at becoming more involved in this new business that I'm building. And we have an opportunity here. And because you and I, you know, Mr. Customer, we've worked so well together in the past we wanted to make you aware of it and see if you wanted to become involved because we, we need some money and we would be interested in, you know, doing a loan or some kind of other arrangement to provide some of this capital to help finance our change of our reorganization, let's call it. Right. Right. Okay. And so, so then the, yeah. usually there has to be some kind of benefit beyond the deal itself to make one of these third parties interested in helping you out. So if they, if they might ever be worried that the future of the business is in jeopardy, that their supply of employees might be disrupted or something, knowing Mm -hmm. that there's a new energetic interested person entering into the management of the business is, is, could make them feel more confident that everything is going to be good. Um, is it a competitive market? Are there other people trying to get hold of these customers? Yeah, I think there's, uh, I've unearthed, you know, probably two or three that are like uh, direct with a very similar business model. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's alternative out there. Um, you know, there's, there's kind of a play here that's a little bit, little bit disruptive within kind of the recruiting industry piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of, you know, businesses that are using recruiting agencies to fill these contract roles, a lot of those agencies will maintain or keep the, the, the contract worker on their books. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of kind of indirect competition, but it's, it's probably more direct than I sometimes acknowledge. Okay. So another, yep. another strategy, if you wanted to find some money to put down on this deal in, to make it into a more traditional purchase, would be to go mm-hmm. looking for other businesses just like this that are in other markets. So out of state, out of city, but they're just like mm-hmm. this. And right. 
going and inviting them to become your partner in acquiring this business where they put up some capital, you become partners with them and you're the operating partner. Right. And then you can make a more traditional offer to the seller. Sure. So this, um, the business, it does have a national presence and most that I find in this industry do kind of work on national level. So that going that route specifically for this business would probably require some sort of agreements around, you know, regions and territories and things like that, which I don't know if that gets into monopolistic practices or, or what, but um, it may not make sense for this, but it's, it's interesting a thought and a, a mm-hmm. great point to at least consider. Even if all the competitors have a national footprint, um, mm-hmm. the, what you can start to do is look by category of what industries they serve. So even though another business might be active in your geographical market, they may be more mm-hmm. interested in serving other kinds of businesses, right? Certain industries or certain roles. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. But, okay. but the whole point yeah, is point. you can't really do this with a direct competitor because, right. because their, their interest is just in seeing this whole thing blow up so they can take all the customers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, 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 one of the models for this kind of thing originally came from the auto industry. And today we have these super dealers, you know, that exist across states or big metro areas where one corporation will own 15 or 20 car dealerships and they're different brands and all this kind of thing. But back in the day, like in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even into the 90s, most car dealerships were standalone businesses, right? And, and they were alone. Mm-hmm. They were a dealer. They were Ford or GM or what have you. And in that yep. industry, there was a, a methodology for transferring ownership that kind of evolved over time where someone who knew they wanted to retire would go and find a junior partner. And the junior partner would buy a small percentage stake in the car dealership, maybe 5% or something. And then they would start to work in the business. And every year when the dividends were issued or if they were issued bonuses for performance or what have you, that money would end up going to the seller to acquire more stock. So it could take years but the buyer would grow from his little 5% stake to 8% to 11% to 15% to 20% as cash flow from the business was due to him as a minority shareholder, instead of taking the cash, he would give it to the seller to acquire more stock. And then at some point he would be up, you know, he would own more than a third of it, closing in on a half, and that's when he would go to the bank and borrow money to completely buy out the seller. And the reason why the banks liked this arrangement so much is because they were lending money to someone who was already in the business, already managing the business, who, you know, who already knew how to make it go. And so right. it, was a, it was a very easy way to, to get the final execution done. And it helped to build and develop the skills of the junior person who would eventually become the, the sole owner. Right. And yeah, it takes a long time and you have to have a business that can genuinely earn a profit over and above the wages of the people working in the business. Right. But yeah. it, can, it can be another kind of model to follow because essentially what ends up happening is the, the, the business gets bought for you by the profitability of the business over time. Right. So that brings to, to mind one thing that I, I can't remember if I was advised on or thought at some point, but the idea around, you know, well, uh, until that point of transition, right? If I'm in any sort of a minority ownership and he still has control, he would have be able to pull on levers that maybe I wouldn't agree with, right? So changing his compensation, pulling back resources to fund growth or technology or those things to that that would impact you know the business is now 
if there's some sort of agreement like we talked about where you know my my earnings are going into a bank account that then provides the down payment and so forth that necessarily not necessarily or that wouldn't necessarily be impacted but is there anything that i should be thinking of or doing from a protection perspective to ensure that he doesn't make choices or do i, do I even need to worry about that well, I, I think it's, it is a good thing to talk about because, and it's a conversation that you have with an attorney in your city who's experienced in, in business dealings, because even though you only own a minority of the stock, you can still have a shareholder's agreement that dis- determines how decisions are made. So you can, yeah. you can actually have authority that punches above your weight vis-a-vis your ownership. Gotcha. Right. And so yeah. um, the, the, the other thing too, is that there's a, a big difference between, you know, the president of the company and a person on the board and, and the way that businesses are properly governed. The shareholders who are also employees, when they're in the business acting as employees, they're supposed to be acting like employees. And so things that are decided at the board level, for example, a, a decision to invest in new technology or a decision to pursue a certain strategy, the employees are supposed to execute that strategy determined by the board. So if you're on the board, even as a minority shareholder, and you have an agreement saying that you have an equal voice at the board level, you can influence a decision to buy the technology or the new devices or software, for example. And then if he is in the business acting as the president and he doesn't do that, well, then, then he's not actually acting under the direction of the board, which the president is supposed to do. And this, yeah. is, this all requires a certain degree of sophistication and maturity. And at the end of the day, we're talking about people. So, people, so yeah. above and beyond any document that an attorney might prepare for you, the, the real question is, do you trust this person to get involved in business with them? Right. Yeah. Because, because, you know, you could have any number of things put into writing. If, uh, let me tell you a quick story. Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah. Yeah. By all means. I was called into this manufacturing business once because the, one of the partners wanted to sell the business and he was having difficulty with his partner. And we said, well, where is the other partner? And he said, he's not here today. And I said, well, I can't really just sell the business for you. If, if he's the owner too, I have to talk <laughs> to him as well. And it turned out that the other partner was having increasing difficulty with his mental health. And the, he had, was spending more and more time at home because he was creating problems within the business and, you know, saying things to employees, customers, et cetera. And, and they, they asked him not to come in because of these issues. And, um, eventually the other partner destroyed the business because he was, he he ended up becoming paranoid about something and came in and changed the passwords on the computer system. And they they literally couldn't function for a week. Mm. And so sometimes it's not even that a person is evil or nefarious or what have you. I mean, when you're dealing with people, literally anything can happen. It's not very common, but, you have to sure. you have to believe that you can trust the person and yeah. that it's a business you want and the deal has to make sense for you it has to make sense for you or else you yep. should put your effort and energy into something else yeah yeah completely agree Anything else, Scott? Uh, no, nothing. Nothing else that I can think of right now. I mean, this has been been really helpful. I appreciate the the time and the insight uh, and the analogies to the you know the car dealerships and the mm-hmm. way they transferred and so forth. Um, yeah, this is this has been been very helpful. So thank you. Yeah. I think the thing to keep in mind is that, you know, businesses are um, a creation 
of people's ingenuity and imagination. You know, there's no real such thing as a business. It's a bunch of people who get together every day and agree on what they're going to do in order to serve people and get money. Right. And so the businesses are not limited in any way by how creative you can be. And in the same way, neither are the deals you can create to acquire them. You, you, can, yeah. you can become as creative as you want to make it. S- simpler is often better. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just laugh because I tend to be one that complicates things. I get into the minutia and the details and like to, you know, make, make the puzzle sometimes more, more complex than it needs to be. So I got to very, very much guard myself through this process to ensure that I don't overcomplicate it. Yeah. Like, like I'll give you a quick example. We can get into all kinds of permutations on how you can do this, this deal. Here's, here's a real simple one. What, whatever the price is that the evaluator comes up with, you offer him a little bit more, but tell him that you're going to pay him a percentage of your sales until he receives the full amount. So it's, it's like, instead of borrowing money at interest, you're paying him a little premium. It's just that he, it's money based on the cash flow of the business. And if you do better with the business, it means he'll get paid faster. You know, that's a really simple way to yeah. set up a deal, right? But, yeah. but he has to see that that amount of money he's going to get will be able to um, provide for him in the way he needs. And that I think that's going to be the sticky part for you because he yeah. probably feels he depends on this cash flow. Yep. I agree. Awesome, Scott. Have you, uh, have you taken business buyer advantage yet? Uh, let's see here. So yes, I took business buyer advantage. Great course. I really appreciated that. Uh, I have been contemplating, uh, at what point is the right time to pull the trigger on the business buyer adventure? Cause I think there's, there's a ton of resource and value that'll, it'll come through that. Uh, this, this opportunity kind of came along a little bit faster than I was expecting. I was still very much in the preparation stages of figuring out what I want and still need to kind of go through that as I'm uh, looking at this. But when it came along, it was, oh, this is very intriguing. I'm going to at least start, start walking down this path uh, without committing too much to it until I'm certain we've got the right opportunity and the right fit and the right agreement too. So. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed business buyer advantage. Um, and um, I hope you have a happy holiday season with you and your wife. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you as well. All right. Talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Dave. Bye-bye. Bye.